You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, I'm going to be discussing five reasons why junior mining investors fail. In junior mining, failure is the norm, not the exception. Not only does Murphy's Law work overtime in mining and that If something could go wrong, it usually does go wrong. But mining, by its very nature, is a capital-destroying industry, especially when you look at exploration companies. Yes, a $50,000 spent on a drill hole could produce a billion-dollar deposit. However, most of the time, that's not the case. Even when I look at my own investment or speculative money put into Explorico's, more often than not, I've lost money personally. And if you look at the industry as a whole... There's been more money put in than probably value that's been taking out. So most mining investors lose money. The reason why we're here, though, is because if it goes right, you can make big-time money. But we have to start off with the negative because most fail and most lose money. You should expect about 40% of your stock picks to be losers. So what that means in is in the other 60%, they can't be losers. And of those 60 other percent that aren't losers, you need to have some outsized winners Otherwise, this makes no sense whatsoever. Junior mining stocks are probably the best sector to make either 10 times your money or one-tenth your money. A 10-bagger, or as some say, a 10-sagger. Just listen to Rick Roll. If you listen to the audio-only podcast, you hear Rick say this often in the outro. Rick describes this exact phenomenon. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. So the first reason you fail as a junior mining investor is because you invest money that you cannot afford to lose. And if you're listening to this show and you're hurting because of some catastrophic losses in your portfolio, that lets you know that you invested too much money, obviously in the wrong company or companies or at the wrong time, but you invested the wrong type of capital. Juniors are only worthy of risk capital. I had someone email me recently, a listener of the show, saying they lost their life savings by putting it in into a specific junior. And friend, I have to point out to you that you didn't even follow the advice of the guest or the host of this show because you only invest money that you are okay to never see again. You should never be investing your life savings or your retirement capital in junior mining stocks. They could go tenfold or they could go one-tenth. And if it went one-tenth and it wipes you out, what are you going to do? Sometimes people have emailed me asking about a certain company, and I don't give investment advice. But if I do give advice, if someone is worried, what I always say is sell that stock to the point that it doesn't keep you up at night at all anymore. And if you're in stocks or you've arranged your portfolio in such a way that it keeps you up or that if you lost all of it, it would change your lifestyle or hurt the relationships you're in, You need to sell those stocks and you need to get out of those positions and you might just need to leave the junior mining sector or the junior resource sector altogether if you can't handle it due to your financial position and if it's affecting you emotionally, relationally. 
I have some high net worth friends that came to me and asked to invest with me when I invest in a specific company or if I think I found something of value. And one friend who's a business owner has above average income and a good net worth and investments in various sectors, real estate and so forth, invested with me a couple times over the last year. And before I let him invest with me, I explained that this is risk capital. Even though you have resources and you have some financial wherewithal, only invest money that you can afford to lose. So he was completely on board. He understands that when he's writing these checks or sending these wires to these companies to make an investment, it is risk capital. Now, one stock we invested in, we're down 40%. And my current analysis of that situation is that we're either going to make or likely to make 30 times our money in the next six months, or we could potentially lose everything. And it all depends on if management is going to execute and perform and make real the forward-looking statement that they've laid out and prove to the market that they, that they can do what they said they can. And if this happens, I think we could do 30x our money. If it doesn't, we could do 0x our money. And that's the bed we've chose to lay in. So if you've chosen to be in these speculative stocks, this is what you deal with. However, another investment we made, we already have a multi-bagger on. And if this one goes as I think it could go, the future will tell whether I'm right or not. But it's, I, ba I invest based on probability. Nothing's for sure until it's sure. Well, if this one goes right for me, I basically could retire off it and not work unless I want to work. So I could lose everything on the one if it doesn't work out. And on the other that is going well so far with a large investment, I could potentially retire. So this is the bet I've chosen to lay in. And if you've chosen to invest in this high-risk, high-reward sector, you have to realize what you're dealing with. Don't invest your life savings. Only invest, invest risk capital you can choose to lose. And you're going to lose probably at least 40% of the time unless it's a bull market in which the tide comes in and lifts all boats, and it doesn't matter if management performs or not, because there's so much hot, ignorant money flowing into the sector that you can make money. If it's not that situation, you're probably going to lose on at least four out of 10 of the companies that you invest in. I was reading a short-form prospectus recently, and we invest in these companies based on the forward-looking statement that the companies and the executives make. Because if the forward-looking statement that they lay out what they want to accomplish comes true, we can all make a lot of money. However, even in their own documents, they tell us, even as we're making these forward-looking statements, this information may prove to be inaccurate and we may not accomplish anything we're saying. I did a 40-minute monologue on this. I'm going to link to that above on YouTube or in the show notes if you're listening in audio form only. I lay my thoughts out about how to discern the forward-looking statements that promoters make but I'll just read a couple lines from this short-form perspective. They say, Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on forward-looking information. By its nature, forward-looking information involves numerous assumptions, known and unknown risks, and uncertainties of both a general and specific nature that could cause actual results to differ materially from those suggested by the forward-looking information or contribute to the possibility that predictions, forecasts, or projections will prove to be materially inaccurate. Additional information on the risks, assumptions, and uncertainties are found in the short-form prospectus under the heading forward-looking statements. So you are buying into a forward-looking statement in which you've assumed 
or concluded that the probability of success is enough and the reward is enough if they're successful that you're willing to take on the risk. So it's a risky business, only invest risk capital. The second reason you fail as a mining investor is because you bought a stock only because somebody bought it or said to buy it. You didn't buy it because of true knowledge or conviction. You don't even know what you own. Any online source, whether it be a podcast, YouTube, whether it be a broker or analyst report, a newsletter writer, a Twitter guru, someone in the chat room, or even an email from a friend, all of these are simply sources. Everybody is biased, whether to the positive or to the negative. I don't ask if somebody is biased. I say, how are they biased? I did a monologue on this. I'm going to link above. It'll be in the show notes. You need to discern positive bias from the sources you consume. You need to discern negative bias. So... The question I ask is not if something or someone is or isn't biased, it's, is it useful to me? And it can be useful if you use it as an investment idea. Then once you get that idea from a certain source, you then do your own due diligence to determine if this stock is right for you. And then you conclude if you agree with the stock picker, newsletter writer, YouTuber, analyst, you have to come to your own conclusion so you own that decision. Because when you don't own the decision, when it goes wrong, you're likely to just blame the source that you heard that from because you didn't actually use independent thought and independent research on your own to conclude whether you should, in the first place, even be in that stock, especially if you don't have the risk tolerance or the financial wherewithal to withstand losing everything you put into that given stock. Ask yourself if you can clearly articulate three likely reasons a stock you own will go up or will go down. So you're laying out the unanswered questions that need to be answered in this speculative company, as Rick Rule would teach us. And then you need to know at least the three main risks that are most likely to happen and cause the thing to fail. And if you can't do that, you should not be in the stock. Rick Rule teaches that you should invest, if you're going to be in individual names and not just rely on a broker, but make decisions for yourself, you need to devote at least one hour per month researching and staying up to date on that company. And I honestly think that's too little. Personally, I would prefer to be in fewer companies that I understand better. And But if you're not willing to do the work, you just need to buy an ETF. Don't even mess with specific names. And that's what I tell people too. If I'm in my social circles, if someone asks about copper or silver and they've concluded they're bullish on a particular commodity, I just say, unless you're willing to do the work, just buy an ETF. Don't even mess with a specific company. Now, you're not going to get the upside that you would in a specific company, if that company hits and it goes well, you know, you could be looking at 10, 30 times your money. The ETF might only give you two to four times your money over a bull run, but you're also not going to lose 80 to 100% of your money if things go wrong in the small company. So that should be the focus. Just buy an ETF. When I decided to get serious about this sector and said, I really want to make some money and I can see junior mining stocks as a leverage vehicle for me to do that, do this. Then I earmarked in my personal budget, because I just invest my own money. I'm not running somebody else's money. I don't take a fee to invest for somebody else. I said, I'm going to spend $10,000 a year just going to conferences, learning, and meeting people. And I consider that a $10,000 educational budget for travel, hotel, you know, everything it takes to attend conferences out of the country I live in and out of the state I live in. And so... Now, that $10,000 budget, which I've already spent this year, deals with me not going to conferences so much, but going and looking at companies, the projects they have, spending a day or two with management 
to see if I want to be in a given company. And sometimes if I'm in the company and I already wrote a large check, then I recently spent three, $4,000 just investigating and making sure that the decision I made was still correct. And so that was a due diligence trip to make sure I still wanted to be in a name. And when I got back, I concluded I still wanted to be in the name. But the point I'm making is if you're not willing to put in the work and it's not, obviously, if you got a $3,000 position, it's not worth spending $4,000 of due diligence. But as Rick Rule said on the show recently, a couple of weeks ago on this show, he'll spend $35,000 on a consultant to decide if he's going to invest a million dollars in a company. So there's three, 4% of his investment. He's spending only on due diligence. And even when he spends that, he might spend the $35,000 and not invest. And so you got to be willing to put in the time and or money to research so that when you make a decision, it's your decision. And it's not just the decision of somebody else that influenced you. Use sources for investing ideas only. And then you research those ideas so that when you click buy or you tell your broker buy, it's your decision and your decision alone. The third reason why you fail as a mining investor is because you do not have a de-risking strategy. It's a high risk, high reward sector. So what are you going to do to manage the risk? Do you have any strategy thought out for de-risking? One of the most sobering conversations that I had years ago at an in-person conference was with someone I'll say was a gambler. This person made and then lost eight figures in juniors. So imagine making over $10 million in junior mining stocks and then giving nearly all of it back. How could you do that? What's your de-risking strategy? And as I walked away from this conversation and debriefed with some friends, I said, this person to me was more of a gambler than a speculator. And in fact, they kind of exhibited those addictive behaviors and just kind of out of control nature that you would you would get from a gambler. That was what it that's what came across. Because if you're a speculator, you have to have a theory or an explanation for what you're doing. It has to incorporate rationality and it can't just be motivated by greed or by fear. There has to be a logical reason for doing what you're doing, and there has to be a probability that you've determined before you invest. And then when you're assessing whether you want to stay in the stock or not, you're asking the same thing. Do I still have an opportunity in this stock? Is it still likely to go up? Or do I have better opportunities elsewhere? I'm going to sell this stock, go into another one, or I'm going to sell this and go into cash. You have to be rationally making this decision, not just with impulse, like a, a addictive gambler that is totally out of control in their thought process and in their emotions. I've seen firsthand in my own account, multiple 10 baggers in the last three, four years. And I can say, as I just thought of three of them prior to this, one of them on paper was a 10-bagger and went to near zero. Another one was actually about a 11 or 12-bagger. And at the time of this recording is virtually back to the same price point that I first invested in three years ago. Another one, I was up about 10 times on paper. And that one's about 30% higher than my original investment. The reason I'm pointing that out is that sometimes a 10-bagger can become a 50-bagger, but sometimes a 10-bagger can become a zero-bagger if you let it. What's your de-risking strategy? When you first enter into a stock, do you assess if your entry point is relatively de-risked? Are you buying the stock just after a major promotion in which surely there's going to be people that are going to do profit-taking, so you enter the stock and then it's going to fall 30% just as the promotion wears off? 
Are, are you entering it at a relatively de-risked standpoint? Are you entering at a 52-week low during tax loss selling? That sure seems a lot better than other scenarios. Are you asking yourself these questions? What's your position sizing strategy? Some guests on this show say they'll never put more than 1% of their portfolio in a given name. Others say 3%. Others say 5%. Some people I know, and I'd be more prone to do this, was willing to put 25% of your portfolio or willing to put 15 or more percent of your portfolio in a given name if you have high conviction, you think your entry point is good, and you like the terms of entry. But you have to come up with your own strategy or philosophy for all of this. What are you going to do when you're up? Are you going to trim after 30% profit? What are you going to do when it triples? For those 10 baggers that I mentioned, don't you know that I took some money off the table? In fact, if you're up 10 times and you never sold at that point, then For one of them, I was up 10 times and didn't sell. I ended up selling a significant chunk later for a very significant profit. But even at being up 10 times, I didn't sell a stock. Looking back, it probably would have been wise (laughs) to sell a large chunk when you were up at at tenfold. You know, what's your strategy when you're down? Do you believe in stop losses? You got to work through all these things. And I've interviewed so many people with different takes and different perspectives on all of this. But the point is, you got to have your own de-risking strategy, and you should listen to shows like this and use that to to hone and refine your strategy that you own for de-risking. Do you monitor your personal investment risk even as the project itself might become more de-risked? So let's say that a mineral deposit is shown to be much bigger than was expected because some step-out holes that the company drilled showed there to be high-grade mineralization, a significant kilometer away than the existing resource. So now you know that the mineralization extends a lot farther than we thought. You don't know if it's continuous yet, but that would be a de-risking event. But where's their treasury at? Are they going to need to finance soon? And what happens if the shares don't go up on the good news, but you know they're running out of money? Well, then the investment banks are going to come in, probably short the stock, and there's going to be the back and forth between the issuer and the investment bank. And even though they proved more value, the share price in the near term could actually go down. We see this happen all the time. So are you monitoring your personal investment risk even as the project might become more de-risked? Because all you care about at the end of the day is the returns on a per share basis because that's what you own, a share of the company. The fourth reason why you could fail as a mining investor a junior mining investor, is because you did not know Howe Street and Bay Street existed. Now, Howe Street is home to Vancouver's mining scene. Bay Street is the center of Toronto mining finance. So what we're talking about is the the insiders, whether they be the financiers, the investment banks, the C-suite executives that set up and run and control these little companies that are publicly traded that we have an opportunity or choice to buy and sell if we want. The key takeaway here that you should know, especially if you're new to this, is that you cannot beat the insiders at the game they control and manipulate to their advantage. It takes decades to learn all the ways insiders cheat and defraud investors in the junior mining sector. I've learned a lot from others' experience. So, for example, just to name two interviews, I interviewed fund manager Warren Irwin of Rossau Asset Management, I don't know, five, six years ago at this point regarding his experience with the BREEX scandal. And that'll be linked. You should listen to that if you're new. I also did an interview with him specifically on mining scams. And he said when he retires, he's going to write a book on it. But there's some things he can't mention yet. There's so many ways. And he goes over a lot of that in that 
interview how executives can take advantage. And so I've learned from others, experience, but I'm also learning as I go, as should you. And you can just look at level two. If you buy level two data for these little Canadian juniors, level two is not fully transparent. You get anonymous selling, and they can come up for reasons why that is. You get the the ATS market, which apparently is dark pools of money. Anything with the word dark before it isn't fully transparent. You get iceberging to where the buys and sells are not even fully accurate. I can monitor that and see that myself. You know, you there's a 14 cent bid. You hit that, and as soon as you hit that 14 cent bid, there was 100,000 shares for sale. Boom, 800,000 immediately appear. That was there, but you didn't even fully see it represented in the level two. There's all these things, and there's the games that they play when an when investment bank gets wind or even is confided in by a CEO and told that they're considering a financing. They can short that thing. They'll get on the phone. They'll smile to the executive. As soon as they hang up the phone, their knives are out to stab them in the back. They'll get on the phone. They'll tell their clients to, to sell. They'll short the stock, take the stock down from $1.60 to $0.30, cents, and then with a smile, Tell the executive, yeah, we'll raise you the money. You This stuff happens all the time. And you're a retail investor and you bought for fundamental reasons. You don't even know what's going on. And you're outside of the game. You can't get into the, the sweetheart deal financing. And you're down significantly on your investment. And if there even is value that comes out from this company, the large line share percentage of value is going to be given to those that get into the cheap financing after the stock's been knocked down. So the game is rigged against you. And so you have to decide if you want to be in the game. You have to learn from others' experience. You have to learn as you go. And you have to take responsibility for your investments. And you have to realize that in light of the way it is, what's your de-risking strategy? And how are you going to protect your capital? Because nobody is 100% aligned with you. Nobody, even if you like them and you listen to them over the internet or you're influenced by them, you have to protect what is yours. The fifth reason you fail as a mining investor is because you inaccurately discern the reasons for your success or failure. Whose fault is it or who gets the credit? On a failure, was it your fault? Was it management's fault? Or was there other macro or external factors at play that caused things to fall apart? Or was it a combination of all? You should be doing this debriefing. If your default position is to blame management, then what good is that going to do you in terms of your own learning moving into the future if you still want to buy these tiny stocks? If you only blame the, the fault on the gold price being manipulated down from $2,000 to 1700 which causes the stock that you invested in to go from $0.60 cents to $0.25, cents, if you only blame it on that, what do you have to take forward into the future. You got to come up with a better critique of that. And the first person you should always critique is yourself. If on a failure, you find yourself pointing the finger more at others, more than pointing it at yourself, you're not doing it right. All you can take forward into the future is what you learned from your mistakes. So it could have been, I shouldn't have invested with that management team, or it could have been when I noticed too many things going wrong with that management team, I stuck around for too long. These are the type of things you need to assess, but always bring it back to you and your decision and blame yourself more than you would blame external forces or even management. Focus on taking responsibility for what you can control and change. So you made money, but ask yourself, was it your brains or was it just a bull market? As Rick Rule says, don't confuse a bull market with brains. Or did you just get lucky? If you successfully identified 
a particular investment. You had a thesis. It worked out. The macro conditions were in your favor. It was like wind blowing in your sail. Pat yourself on the back for sure, but just don't let it get to your head too quickly. And then if you have huge winnings from that, guard that huge winnings. Remember I told you about this guy I met that made eight figures in junior mining stocks and then gave it all back? When you have a huge win, how are you going to protect that? My friend David Erfley, I don't engage in this philosophy, but he does. When he takes wins off the table, he keeps them off and he puts them in his checking account and he literally removes them from his brokerage account so that he's not tempted to, to jump back in to something maybe he shouldn't. Because you have to exit the bull market as a winner. And if you've made a lot of money in a bull market and that cycle turns over, you can lose money so quickly in three, four months after a cycle turns over. Just if you've been in this only a few years, look at what happened from August 2020 and the months that followed. Yeah, we had a good run from the bottom in March of 2020 to August in the gold and silver stocks. But what happened after that? You don't want to give it all back. And that's where you need a de-risking strategy. So you can make a lot of money in this sector. You can lose a lot of money. Just use this monologue to do some self-reflection. If you want to be in this sector, you want to succeed, you don't want to fail. And think about how these five points and how these five ways that mining, junior mining investors fail could be applied to your thought process and your portfolio specifically. This is Bill Powers signing off. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks, too. I just started to study up on mining stocks, and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector, and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. 
If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.